Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now you might recall when I was with you last, we spoke about the trials and the sufferings that we encounter as we go through the days of our lives. And those trials and sufferings that we endure, they are many. They are many and they come in, in so many different forms. As the old servant Job lamented one time, he said, our days are few and full of troubles. But we can't constantly focus on the miseries of our days. Yes, those sufferings and those trials are painful and they come in so many different forms. But I want to remind us that for those who have Christ, God's chosen children, you and me, we are never without hope. And I want to talk a lot about hope today because hope is especially important because it's the very foundational part of the gift of faith. In Romans 5, 5, we read, Hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope is such a needful part of our daily existence. It is essential to the well-being of our soul all during every day, spiritually and emotionally, and also even physically. And hope is especially needful when our faith comes under fire and is being tested. As God speaks about here, testing that is not just occasional, but testing that is taking place almost continually in one form or another all throughout most every day. With God, the testing of our faith is a regular exercise for our soul so that we'll always be fit. He wants us to be in shape, to be able to carry forward the work that he calls us to. Now, as I pondered through the words of this passage, I noted that God very pointedly led our thoughts to a special defect that can develop within our faith, one that we must deal with, else it can quickly get out of hand. And here he calls that defect doubt, doubt and double-mindedness. And he gives us this visual description for our minds and hearts of being tossed around by winds and waves. And those winds and waves are the pressing circumstances at the time. And they're different each day. Some of them go on for long periods. But here he gives us this as a reminder. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do, let him ask God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. By the way, this is her also. Let him or her ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man or that woman suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here again, I want to remind you, God is speaking with these words to believers. These are difficult words for us to accept. When he says, for let not that man or that woman suppose that they'll receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There are so many things that can bring doubt and double-mindedness. And there are so many opportunities. For some of us, doubt and double-mindedness is brought about. And listen, this is so current to today because yesterday's political news taking place in South Carolina, this doubt and double-mindedness can be brought on by this constant beating of these political drums that we listen to, we watch on our television. If you turned on your television yesterday or this morning, you were churned up. It's the way it happens. Now for others, it's articles on Facebook. Now I don't have television news myself and I don't do Facebook, my sweet wife does. For me though, because I don't have those triggers to bring on my churning and doubting, my occasion comes when I get busy with a project and my mind just seems to be able to wander during those times. I might be cutting the grass. Yesterday I was up on my roof working on my chimney and my mind seems free then to start to wonder. And before I realize what's happening, my mind starts churning on some problem that's taking place. Perhaps it's with one of my beloved family members and that's where it mostly does take place. My mind starts to churn on how I would fix them if they'd only let me. But they don't. They don't. And all mixed in to my thoughts are all these differing elements of some anger, mostly frustration, and mostly a broken heart. And what that means is, during that time that I'm churning, I left the Lord completely out of the equation. His comforting hand, His comforting voice, I've left that out of the equation. And if I let those kinds of thoughts continue for just a little while, a little bit of a distance starts to develop. A little gap will develop in my relationship with God. And it may be ever so small, but that's all the devil needs to find occasion to bring my faith under fire. And then also with that comes the doubt and the double-mindedness creeping in and taking over. And listen, hope. Hope becomes the first casualty of my doubting a loss of hope. But then when my mind does remember to bring God back into the equation, sometimes it's still with a question. A question, God, I know that you can help. You are omnipotent. You are omniscient. And I know that you could help in this situation. And so then the question, why don't you? Just this one. And I'll say to the Lord in an apologetic way, I'm not trying to talk you out of anything or talk you into something that shouldn't be done, but, but, can't you this, just this one time? And you see, folks, that's a double-edged sword. That's a double-edged sword. And especially when I'm asking God to give an answer in some manner that I have contrived as being the way I think it ought to happen. Because I do, I get my own ideas and my own will wedged into God's method of handling all those matters. Now, thankfully, eventually God is able to drag my mind back, and I use that word, he drags my mind back to reality. And he reminds me that he really does have a plan for the handling of every situation. And that his plan has to take into consideration all those many other people and factors. See, I'm centered in on what's taking place with my loved one. But there's so many other people, so many other factors involved. And he has to take those all into consideration. He brings in reminders to me that His ways are not our ways, and they are better than my ways. But still, 
still, time after time, I find it so difficult to get myself to stay over there on his side of the equation. Now, a good example of what I'm speaking about would be as I pray fervently for the salvation of my children, for my grandchildren, and now for my great-grandchildren. And as I pray for some of their marriages that are having problems. I know that God would have me to pray for all those things. And I pray for mercy. I pray for His grace. He tells us to pray, but He asks us to remember. He says in 2 Peter 3, He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count as slowness, but He but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And folks, I love that verse. I love that verse, but did you notice the words right at the beginning. Let me read it again. This is where I go astray. The Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count as slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Those words describe this beginning of the tossing of the waves that takes place in my mind if I'm not careful because I want my loved one to be saved now. And I want their marriages to be fixed now. And if I'm not careful during that thought process, impatience begins to seep into my mind. And I'm in danger of counting God's handling of matters as slowness. I really don't want Him to take all the time that He often takes. I want God to reach into my loved one's lives and make them turn and be saved. I want Him to reach into their marriages and make them turn back and love their wife or their husband. And I find myself crying out to God, Oh, God, why don't you just knock them down to the ground the way you did the Apostle Paul? Why don't you do that? Make them turn. Make them turn. But unfortunately for my soul, as these words warn, while I wait for God's plan to unfold, this impatience does work its way in so often and doubts and double-mindedness begins to be at work and I lose a little hope. I lose a little hope. Again, hope seems always to be that part of my faith that suffers most. And again, the devil seems to know that hope is my weakest point, And he attacks it at every opportunity, bringing in even more doubt, double-mindedness. Is that true with you? Where is the weakness of your faith? Because that's what these verses are talking about. Our faith being under fire. What is your weakest point? Is it hope? like it is with me. I'd like to examine this word. Well, as I mentioned to begin uh, our time today, I love to dig into verses and I love to dig into certain words. And I want to do that with this word hope today because it really is essential to every one of our daily lives today. May I go back and remind us again as I look at this word hope of the simple definition that God gives us of faith. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Simple words again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What are all those things that you're hoping for? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Do you notice that hope sits right at the center of God's plan of faith for us? That's probably why hope is so often the focal point of Satan's attack. As our faith comes under fire and our hope 
for a particular outcome, which that's usually what we are hoping for. We're, we're hoping that a particular outcome that we would like would take place. When we're, we realize that that's not taking place, our battlefront begins to cave in. And that's when this doubt and double-mindedness spoken about here begins to sit in. I'd like for us to look at, and I'd like for you to turn there if you would. It's not far from James 1. It's 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. Just a few pages in your Bible further. I want to read this for you, and I want you to make a note here to go back and read it other times. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, note in these words, there are three words in particular that, that I want to, uh, us to spend time on. The words caused, born again, and a living hope. Let me read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now folks, those words are absolutely profound. Those words are profound. They speak of a power that's beyond anything that you and I possess. First we see in these words that it is God and God alone who brought salvation into our souls and not our own random free will decision. He himself, as these words tell us, he himself caused us to be born again. Yes, we did. At some point in that whole transaction, as we might have walked down front or we were at a Billy Graham rally, at some point in that whole transaction, we agreed with him and we received Christ into our hearts. But it was never we ourselves who thought up that idea of salvation and then brought it into being. It was not me who suddenly one day thought, gosh, I think I'd like to get saved. It didn't happen that way. It was and always is God as the first cause. Not you and not me, but God and God alone. And so he says there that he caused us to be born again. And in this transaction that God calls being born again, folks, listen, changes really do take place within our soul. Being born again is everything becomes new, real, and actual changes, mysterious, very spiritual changes take place. Why do I say that? There is a part of the very strong Christian uh, community out there that believes in what's called a carnal Christian, that you can pray that sinner's prayer and then never change. That's not what the scriptures say. Real changes take place. Spiritual changes, every part of who we are, how we think, and especially how and what we believe about God and what, how He interacts with us, all that changes. Every part of us went from that dead form of existence into life, from dead into living. That's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom. But we really and actually were dead in our trespasses and sins. Scripture says that very clearly. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't think of anything. Dead people are dead. We were on that broad path that leads to everlasting destruction. When he suddenly, as these scriptures tell us, he quickened us. He brought us to life, causing us, causing us to be born again. Brand new, not rehabilitated, 
not rehabilitated, but brand new, brand new creatures. And in our new birth, listen, we were born again into a new living hope. What does that mean? What does that mean when you hear those words or when you read them? You are born again into a living hope. This living hope he's talking about here is what God told us about in that definition of faith. And it's a very different kind of hope from what we once thought it was when we were still unsaved. Hope had a whole different meaning for us back then. We'd cross our fingers. Why were you crossing your fingers? What is that difference between the kind of hope we had when we were unsaved and the kind of hope we have now that we are saved? Simply this, and listen. When we're born again into a living hope, that kind of new and living hope has a new source and a new foundation for its trust. Our hope is now in God, in who He is, and in His sovereign plan. You know, how many times has Billy Graham said, God has a plan for your life? We just receive those words and they go somewhere. He really does have a plan, and He's carrying it on forward. Our hope is now in Him, and in who He is, and in His sovereign plan. And our new birth brings with it this firm belief that it is God and God alone, listen, who determines all those possible outcomes of our hopes. Now think about it. What you're doing is you're, you're there working on your roof and you're churning and you're hoping that a particular thing would take place in your child's marriage. This hope now that I have, it brings with it this firm belief that God and God alone is the one who determines. He is the only one. He is the only possible one to determine the outcome of my hopes, of your hopes. Hopes like I mentioned earlier whether it be salvation or be in marriages. My hope must be in God and God alone for the right outcome. Now, yes, the unsaved people of this world do also have hope, at least some form of hope. But it's a whole different kind of hope, as I mentioned a moment ago. I can still recall what that hope was like during my dead years before I was saved. The problem with that kind of hope is that it has no real basis, no real source that can bring about those things hoped for. Remember the definition of faith. It's the substance of things hoped for. When you're hoping in a possibility, anyway, that form of hope rests not in the person of God, who is working all things together for good, but instead the unbeliever's hope rests in a belief that perhaps, listen, that perhaps some random events might come together in some mystical random occurrence and bring about the thing that you're hoping for. Think about that. That's what's taking place. And do we not realize that that foolish kind of hope is being taught to our minds every day through so many sources, especially through our media and even within our school system? And I confess that I've often enjoyed watching those science programs. And I, I'm not against science. Science is a good study of what God does. But the ones that we tend to see on our television. They attempt to convince us of how life takes place on the earth each day through random events. Do we not recognize that those theories and those teachings are in direct opposition to the truths that are given in these scriptures? Those theories and those teachings describe a world existence that is solely the result of uncontrolled random events taking place simultaneously. They envision and I watched a program just recently that was saying just this on PBS, that there are these 
massive number of random events taking place simultaneously every day and by their random occurrences they form patterns that determine the outcomes that we experience. And they assert that those bunch of random maverick molecules bouncing off one another cause this world somehow to do all these wonderfully precise things that are taking place each day. Do we not realize what such beliefs as those do to this matter of hope? Instead of believing that there is a living and loving Father who is at work caring and providing and carrying forward everything that is taking place, hope and trust is instead given over to some belief in some bunch of random events taking place that we hope will somehow come together and produce the thing that we hope for. How sad. How sad that is. And how so very foolish that is. It's a hopeless form of hope. I'm running out of time. I kept this late last week and I try not to do that today. So let me just close with this. And these are encouraging words for our hope. God, our loving Father, has more for you and me, His beloved children, than the foolishness that this world wants to offer us. Our loving Father is the first cause. Remember those words. He is the first cause of all that takes place in our lives. And He has saved us into a living hope, a hope that rests firmly within His divine, omnipotent power and plan. And we need never wander in that sea of doubt and double-mindedness tossed around by the winds and the waves. Our faith and our hope in Him is real. And it is trustworthy in every circumstance of life. And so my encouragement to each of us, when we do find ourselves drifting over into those times of, of dark and, and difficult wanderings of the mind, the doubting and the the double-mindedness. Jesus invites us back with these words. He says to us, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray.